Thank you for listening to the Northridge Church Podcast. For further information about Northridge Church, visit us online at northridgethompson.com. Oh, how did I get here? I was called Tuesday by David, and and I can't honestly say that I was quick to say I, I would I would come and speak. I actually told David I'd call him back and, and let him know kind of what my answer was. But I've done a lot of speakings over my career. But the problem with speaking in front of a church, first and foremost, I don't feel that I'm worthy up here today to even talk to you. But excuse me. God's led me here for a reason. I've got a lot to say, but, you know, three minutes I'm not going to be able to get in because I'm going to shorten this up and I'm going to make it short and sweet, and particularly to you young men and even older men because it took me 33 years to get it. And I hope something I say here today uh, will seep into you and and for you to understand. Basically, I, I grew up in church. I was saved when I was 12. I always try to do the right thing. I, I am in law enforcement. In 13 years in law enforcement, I deal with human misery every day. I deal with negative energy every day. So over time, it impacted my life. It impacted my feelings. It, Im- it impacted my heart. It, I began to be really hard-hearted, if you want to use that term. Um, and it bothered me because the biggest thing I had, I always thought my biggest attribute in life was my compassion for people. I loved people. I always tried to help anybody. If I got $2 in my pocket and it's the last $2, I'm going to give it away. But that even began to, to be a problem because I was encountering people and my compassion wasn't there anymore. So it began to scare me. And uh, like I said, I, there was no rock bottom. There was no addiction to why I came back to God. I just know I distanced myself from not only God, but from religion. And the more I read and the more I researched, you see God wasn't a fan of religion either. Religion is people. Religion is, is man-made rules that, that were set by man, and sometimes it pushes certain people away. And like I said, I got a lot to say, but I'm going to have to shorten this up. But even when I was an enemy of God and certainly not a fan, he still looked down at me and said, I want that man. He never gave up on me. And that's what I want you guys to know today, especially you young men. And I want to read This is a poem that Clayton Jennings wrote, and it impacted me quite a bit. And I'm just going to take a few phrases out of it. But when I became a man, I did away with the notion of living for the weekend because I looked at society and all I saw was weak men. Living for Fridays, dying for for Saturdays, traveling these cars on the highways and byways like material things are all that defines me. Heading, Heading to cubicle jobs, trying to climb the ladder, clinging to money like it all that matters. Boys who never became men. Stuck forever in the past tense, trapped in spiritual adolescence. When I became a man, a man, I looked at my peers and I said, I do not want to be like them. Cleaning to the latest trend, dying to fit fit in, judging each other by the cars they're in. When I became a man, I said, I wanted something more for my life. 
more than getting wasted on the neon lights on Friday nights, only to wake up on Saturday morning with plans to do it again, and there's too many boys in the world and not enough men. But when I became a man, I said, when I leave this world, I want my life to have had purpose. So I stopped wasting my life on things that are worthless. Every minute on the couch in front of the TV is a wasted moment and a journey that should be defining me. A journey of forming a legacy. But I didn't want that legacy to be neglected. So I looked at this world and I didn't accept it. No, I absolutely rejected it. I'm not going to be who you want me to be. No, I absolutely reject it. But when I became a man, and here's the biggest part of this, this poem that got me. I picked up my cross and I put down my shame. And my sins were forgiven in Jesus' name. And in Jesus' name, my sins will forever remain an afterthought of who I used to be. But no longer am because God chose fit to crucify the lamb because he took my place. He took my cross. He took my hell. He took my nails. He took it all because he had a plan for me. And for the first time I saw it when I became a man. Thank you. Yeah, that's right. That's awesome. Y'all give Andrew another hand. Wasn't that amazing? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to preface today with a couple of comments. Just want to say thank you. And some stories that you guys don't know, I want to share with you very briefly. When we, uh, when we first started looking at the property, we were looking at the one building that was up there was just uh, about three acres, about $199,000. And <clears throat> we, uh, when we met with the owner... They were asking about 1.6, 1.8 million for everything. And long story short, uh, when I met, met, went and met with the guy, he said, Mark, what would you do if you could get all 385 acres? And I said, man, I don't know how we're going to get the three acres. I said, we got like 30 grand in the bank. At the time, it was rushed. Of course, the church did not exist. And, and uh, I said, that's it, man. That's all we got. He said, that's not what I asked you. And, and, and that day, even though I, I think that was very smart, Elikie, of him to say that to me, I, I think that was a profound comment because sometimes... I believe God is on the fringes of our life saying, what do you really want to see me do? And you know what we do? Oh, God, we can't do that. He said, that's not what I asked you. What do you really want to see? See, the Bible says that the thief cometh but to kill, steal, and to destroy. But Jesus said, but I make, I've come that you may have life and have it more what? Say it with me. Abundantly. The exceeding abundant life. That God has a plan to do exceedingly abundantly above that which you could ask, think, or imagine. And I'm going to tell you, i got a big imagination. I've been told, I've been, uh, said, it's been said by many people, I have a vision. And, and, and I'll put it out there. And then, of course, expect everybody else to come in behind me and fill in the gaps, you know, and do all the work. But uh, I, I just praise God. And just to kind of tell you how God works. Not only did God give us a bus, but when we bought the property, we financed it through the man, through a, what's called a triple net lease for one year. And just to show you how big God is, we, we uh, came up to that one-year point, and, and, and I got a phone call from the guy that, that financed it for us uh, under that period of time. And um, he said, okay, we're coming up on a year. Did you get your financing yet? And I'm like, no, it may be another year or two before I can get permanent financing. And then I began to realize that we were going to lose some of the monies that we had put in that were going to go towards the amount. And um, so I had a friend of mine in the church, uh, and I won't, I won't call their names because I haven't got their permission to do so, but uh, a friend in the church called me that day, and he began talking to me, and he said, you know, hey, man, what's wrong? You don't sound like your normal, upbeat self. And I said, I just got a lot on my heart, a lot on my plate right now. And it, it basically, long story short, we got the property for about $775,000 for everything. We ended up getting it all because God was exceedingly abundantly above what we could ask, think, or imagine. 
And, and so when we got it, but we didn't know how to pay, we didn't know how we were going to pay it back. Honestly, we stepped out into the, to the sea of uncertainty in a way that you can't even fathom. But we knew that this is what God was calling us to do. And on that day when that gentleman called me, he says, man, something's wrong. And, and, I, and I began to tell him and unfold. I said, you know, i got to come up with basically $813,000 in the next few days. Uh, and, and the bank is going to give us a loan, but it may take some time. And uh, he said, well, um, i tell you what, I'll be down there to meet you tomorrow. And that next day, uh, he brought a check for $813,000 and said, here, take that to the bank. Get that set. I know. That's what I said. Get, get it settled. And, and uh, I mean, I don't even count that many zeros. I don't even know how to do that. And uh, it just and that wasn't the that wasn't the end. And then they did that, and then we got our loan, and then we we paid them back on that, and got our loan. And I still don't know how we got the loan like that, but you know we put our name on everything, and they put their name on it as a guarantor, and we moved forward, and and um, we started pressing on. And then we said well, we got to do a little bit of work to the bank, and and then they brought another hundred thousand and said here do that, you can pay me back whenever. And and we got all the buildings so we could start meeting up there on Wednesdays, and 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 I mean things happened. We, one day I prayed on a Monday. I said Lord, if if we can get a, a tractor, it sure would help us out but we can't buy it. We're saving money for our building. And, and that was on a Monday, uh, a month, no, a Wednesday morning at 10 o'clock, uh, about one o'clock, a guy in our church called me. He goes, I-, I need to come talk to you. And I didn't take any, any fear to that because he and I talked two or three times a week and he came in. And as soon as he walked in, I started talking about some things, picking up the conversation where we left off. And he said, that's not why I came. He said, on Monday morning, God woke me up. And I don't remember what time he told me. He said, God woke me up early that morning on Monday and said, uh, to buy you guys a tractor. And I'm like, well, well, bless God. I'm glad he woke you up, and I'm glad you heard him. And uh, so I'm still, let me just tell you what I'm thinking, because this is the way I am. I was thinking when he said tractor, I'm th- you know those old John Deere tractors that go, you know, that kind of tractor. I'm thinking, that's what we're going to get, a bush hog with, like, little rabbits, I mean, little rats running around in the cage, spinning the, you know, the blade. That's what I'm thinking, an old tractor. And uh, he said, I was going to go buy you a tractor. He said, but I didn't know what all the, the implements you needed and so forth. He said, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to write you a check, wrote a check for $38,500 and said, do nothing with this, but go buy a tractor. And I said, yes, sir, I'll go buy a tractor. You'll go with me. You know, we have no problem following those kind of orders. So we went and bought a tractor. And, and, and I mean, one thing and another, we've, we've been given vehicles and trucks. And I stood in front of you the other day and uh, two, three weeks ago and said, you know, we're, we're $145,000 towards our $200,000 mark to break to break ground on our building. And, uh, you know, that was our goal. That's what we set out there. We want 200000 because we want to be good stewards. We want to raise at least 10% of the money in cash. And it's a new church. And it's economic depression time. And we live in a small town. And I heard all of those things. And I'm like, but I know this is what God said. So we met with the deacons. And we came out with two hundred grand. That's what we want to do. And I started seeing it climb. And I'm like, God, you're so faithful. You're so amazing. And, uh, and, and that day I stood in front of you guys. And I just said, hey, I just want to put it out there. Just continue to pray about what God would have you to do. Uh, as we're doing the church, we still all also want to raise the $200,000, and I left it at that. And, and I went back to the office. On Monday, this guy in our church calls me, and, and he says, Hey, man, I just wanted to ask you, what was that number that you, we needed to get to meet our, our goal of $200,000? And, and, and I, I said, I think it was $55,000. He said, Well, find out for sure. And I called Doug. I'm, you know, Doug, how much is the money? And I told him, and, and uh, he said, It's $55,000. So I told the guy, He said, I'll have you a check down there tomorrow, $55,000. He said, We had a great month. I, I'm thinking, what kind of year do you have? You have a great month, and you can do that. You know, that, that's a that's a salary, okay? But uh, anyway, he did. He said we had a great month, but he made this statement. He said, "Mark, uh, God has blessed us so much since we've been a part of Northridge Church, and it's, it's helped my family, it's helped my marriage." And he said, and he made this statement. He said, and it's all God's anyway. And he said, and I just want to do what God wants me to do. Now we're up to about two hundred twenty or so, two hundred twenty thousand. 
uh, people that God has sent in our life. Uh, when David and I walked, walked away from a salary as pastors, uh, it, it, was, it was not a scary thing, quite frankly. It wasn't for me. I don't, I don't, he's, still, he's like, I'm still scared. But we walked away with a salary. We didn't have a salary, and we just stepped out on faith, and, and, and God has been faithful with that from day one. Uh, Doug Riddick, who's our CFO, um, uh, he, he was able, as a retired firefighter, to come alongside of us and work, and they're supporters of our ministry as well, and he doesn't get paid anything. Keith and Ashley, you know, sold their home and, and, and reduced all their hours down as, as a nurse and, and served for free as volunteers leading our worship and moved in with us. And I mean, that was a huge blessing for them, I'm quite sure, but they moved in with us and then got pregnant and, and had a baby. And, and so, I mean, it, it just seeing, seeing what God has done, and I could go on and on and on and on. But like Andrew said, I, I, just, I just believe that God is calling us to something profound. Mark, why do you share those stories? I just want to brag on God. At the end of the day, God doesn't need Mark to pastor this church for it to flourish. He doesn't need David to be the youth pastor. He doesn't need Doug to be the CFO, although, Doug, we really want you to be the CFO. I'm just saying. This is an example. You know, he doesn't need the deacons to step up. He doesn't, you know what he needs? He just wants people who say, here I am, Lord, use me. And at the end of the day, that's what we're doing. And God is blessing. But I want to just say thank you for your part. Thank you for the journey. But guys, as we embark on our third year, I believe that we've only scratched the surface of what God is going to do. And, and I hope you believe that because he's still an exceeding abundant God. But I need you to be a part. I need you to step up and say, hey, where can I serve? I need you tonight. We're going to minister to our community. You know, how can we do a free event like this and free food and free things because you know what? That's what God's called us to do. This is a local mission for us. We know, we are 100% certain people show up today that do not know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior for their life. And we're going to come out and if it takes a zip line and it takes a barbecue sandwich and it takes a kayak in the water or the blob or some other thing or sitting on the little beach. that We, we got a beach, by the way. Isn't that cool? Whatever it takes. And then we're going to present the gospel. And, and we're just going to believe that God is going to change lives tonight. Amen. Let's pray real quick. Father, we love you so much, and we thank you for your word today. As we embark on this word real quick, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you glorify yourself. In the name of Jesus, I pray. All of God's people said amen. just want to talk to you for about five or ten minutes, if you'll just bear with me. I want to talk to you about rethinking your freedom. Freedom is not something to be taken lightly. It's not something to be taken for granted. Uh, the men and women in this room... Uh, that have served in the armed forces, some that are still serving. They get that. They understand that. They put their life on the line. And yeah, praise God. Y'all give them a hand. Amen. They realize that as they put their life on the line, as they leave their family, as they, as they embark on each day and put that uniform on, our first responders, our police officers, our sheriff's deputies, our troopers, they realize that there's something bigger than them. And guys, that's what the church need to realize today, that the celebration of our freedom today cannot be traced back to a flag, cannot be traced back to a constitution, cannot be traced back to any one thing other than the person of Jesus Christ of whom all things are given. The reality is, is why we broke away, even go back into the Protestant Reformation. You realize, why did we break away from the Church of England? Why did we need to seek independence from British rule? It wasn't about donning a flag that I love, that I served under the banner of that flag. It wasn't about a constitution that says, we the people, in order to, perform, to form a more perfect union, all those were sub-products, byproducts of a greater freedom which came in the person of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. 
The old things passed away. Behold, as Andrew said, behold, all things become new. If the Son, Jesus, shall set you free, you shall be free how? Indeed. That word means entirely. That means freed in your land, free to worship. Can I tell you something? Even the agnostic, the atheist, the ISIS member, even those people who want to put down their weapon, even those people who want to burn a flag are protected by the freedom, not just of the soldier, although that's a big part, not just of the flag, not just of our liberties, but of the freedom that Jesus Christ brought us to. See, it's all under the banner of Jesus Christ. But the reality is, and I want to draw you a parallel real quickly today, so I don't want you to take this first part as just a political statement. Please hear my heart here. I want to offer this little caveat. I'm going to offer you a truth, and the truth of which I stand on, and I believe we can trace it back to the Constitution, trace it back to the beginning of why we broke away and how we broke away, is those original 13 British colonies that on July the 4th, 1776, signed and, and, and actually presented a declaration of their independence to say that no longer will we fall under the tyranny of a government that will decide. Watch this. When I go to school, how I go to school, my medical care, my religious freedom, that we will no longer operate under the auspices of that type of tyranny. And I want to draw a line to one thing, and I want you to hear me. This is not a political statement, although it will have a political undertone. But please hear me. I'm drawing a parallel in just a moment from a spiritual side. It goes back to the right and the necessity to defend yourself as a free person. The reality is, is that the fact that we were able to pick up and to bear arms according to the Second Amendment of the Constitution of the United States of America, that we're able to have the one thing that draws the proverbial line in the sand that says, hey, governmental tyranny, England at that time, you can no longer impose your values on me and my family because the freedom that Jesus gave, and make no mistake about it, guys, the unalienable rights that the, that the Constitution speaks of, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness don't come from government. They do not come from any type of of constitution they are unalienable rights meaning that they are God gifted they are natural laws given by our creator that each person has that right to pursue happiness to live without the worry of, of a governmental tyranny and let me just say this the thing the one thing that separates us from the tyranny of England when we moved over here and the 13 colonies established itself was the fact that men in the commonality the commonwealth of those 13 colonies picked up a weapon and said no more why do you say that mark i'm gonna tell you why because everything you see going on in the culture today and the political realm today is is drawing a line back to a couple of things one is taking the rights that we have away from us telling us you will have this kind of medical you will do this there are even states that have tried and are still trying it will ultimately i think get to this i pray that we'll be gone when this happens through the rapture of the church but here's what i believe they're going to eventually try to say what I can and cannot say up here. Can I tell you something? The only thing that's going to drive what I say is the Word of God, the infallible, inerrant Word of God, unapologetically. And I've said this cutting up, and I've said, but I want you to know this is my heart. If they come in here and they stand at that back door one day and say, you will not say this, this, and this. If God, through the Holy Spirit of God, says, say this, and it's in the Word of God, and it marries with the Word of God, I will say it no matter what the ramifications are. 
But here's the truth. Here's the truth. Don't miss this. The reality is, it's the reason that they cannot. And again, this is not a new thing. Please hear me. This goes back to our breakaway from England and under British rule. The thing that separated man and woman to be able to worship the God and spirit and the truth, the one true living God, is the fact that they had the same arms, the same weapon, that the government who was imposing that tyranny upon them. And today, to give that up, and please hear me again, I'm drawing up spiritual parallels, so just walk with me on this. The fact of giving up the one thing that provides me that civil, civil liberty, that freedom that Jesus gave us through the death on the cross is the fact that I get to hold a weapon. Now, I know that doesn't preach good. I know that's, you know, what are you, a machine gun preacher? I mean, no, here's what I believe to be true. The fact is, is that you and I have to hold on to those liberties, guys. You have, to, you have to vote. You have to invoke your voice. You have to say when enough's enough. The church has lost her voice and therefore has lost her influence. And I don't say that with any gloating or any piety. It breaks my heart. It breaks my heart that the church has remained silent when one woman decided that prayer in schools offended her, so she steps up and goes all the way to the Supreme Court and removes public prayer, public reading of Scripture, and we sit idly by and said, oh, it'll never happen. Guess what? Not only did it happening happen, it's still happening because we're remaining silent. Now, see, the, the beauty of, say, a soldier is a soldier's mainstay is not his battalion commander. The soldier's mainstay is not even the tank. The soldier's mainstay is not his general orders. The the soldier's mainstay is not his uniform. The soldier's diehard hope above all hopes is that he knows that weapon frontward, backwards, inside, and out. He knows it better than he knows anything else. So much so that he can disassemble it, assemble it, perform a functions check, perform maintenance, and fire that weapon even in pitch dark. Why? Because it is instilled in the American soldier that for him to be great, he's got to hold on to the one thing that stops the enemy from overthrowing us. Now watch this. Parallel that with the word of God, the only offensive weapon in your spiritual arsenal. Please don't miss this. Because Galatians 5.1, if you have your Bibles, I want to I read this to you, and I don't want you to miss this. Galatians 5.1 says, stand fast. Everybody say, stand fast. Let me say that this way. Stand firm. Everybody say, stand firm. Stand fast in the freedom wherewith Christ has set you free. Some say, stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free. Freedom did not come from man. Freedom did not come from a constitution. Freedom did not come from a preamble. Freedom didn't come from a song, God bless the USA, or a national anthem. It came from the person of Jesus Christ and him alone. And stand fast in that means that we stand firm. Can I tell you what that means? Unmovable, unshakable. We're not willing to, to be moved with the, with the errors of this culture. Listen, there's a lot of people today, and we see it in churches too, that we're, the, we're kind of the edgy church. We're the, we're the, they're the ones that the guy preaches in jeans, and, and they have, let me tell you something. It's never been about clothing. It's never been about the music. It's always, always, always been about and will continue to be about the Word of God and the person of Jesus Christ. Everything else is man-made and fluff, and it really doesn't make any difference to me. The Word of God is our only offensive weapon. Our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. Our loins girt about with truth. Truth comes from Jesus. He said, I am the resurrection, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life in John 14, 6. 
That's truth. It comes from the Word of God. Mark, the Word of God is not really that important. Oh, it's absolutely essential. Jesus says, I hold it above my own name. The name of what? The name of Jesus. That name by which every tongue shall confess, every knee shall bow, by the name of Jesus under which every man must be saved. That name, he holds the Word above it. It's a sharper than a two-edged sword. It is the thing that framed the world. It is the thing. It is the very thing that will destroy the armies of the Antichrist in the great battle of Armageddon. It is his word that started it all. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. In verse 14 of John 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the person of Jesus. It's always been about the word. In Ephesians 6, when you put on the whole armor of God, you put on the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. But above all, but above all, everybody say above all. But above all, take what? You want to take on the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That is my only offensive weapon. But here, let's go back to this parallel with the American soldier. Do you know what makes the American soldier superior to every other soldier in the world? In 1990, 91, during Desert Shield, Desert Storm. The demoralization, if you will, of all of Saddam's soldiers, even the Republican Guard at the airport. Those guys were so demoralized. They were hungry. They had nothing to hold on to. They literally, hear me, they literally laid down their weapons and donned a white flag of surrender. The American soldier will never do that because that's his mainstay. The Christian today is waving a white flag and has laid down her weapon, the Word of God. The reason, Pastor David, that we can't operate in the freedom wherewith Christ has made us free is because we don't know the promises of God that are found in that offensive weapon, the Word of God. You can't stand on a promise. Let me tell you something. If I go shoot clay shoots with a shotgun, they will destroy me every time. If I pull a bow, I'm going to end up tearing my arm up. That's not my thing. But if I go pick up an AR-15 or M M16, I can shoot it and I can shoot it good. Do you know why? Because I know that weapon and I understand it inside and out. Do you know the same is true for the Word of God? Do you know why people are persevering and people are coming out of ruts and why people's marriages are turning around and children are lining up? It's because people are standing on or knowing and lining up with the promises of God that are yes and amen Him found in the precious Word of God. If you don't know, I'm preaching to y'all over here. Something's going on over here. Let me come over here. The reality is, is if you don't know that book, you are you might as well be carrying as a soldier an M16 without a magazine and without one bullet. You are absolutely a target with absolutely no offense. You have the word of God on you today, whether it be, and I and I listen, let's not be real legalistic. I don't care if it's on your phone. I think the, the Word of God found on the phone is amazing. I, I preach from an iPad. It's, it's the Word of God. But you know why? Because the words on my other Bible started getting smaller. Don't judge. Yeah, that's mom telling her I'm preaching. But here's the thing. I have read this book from cover to cover many times. I'm in it every single day. Not because I'm a super spiritual guy. Do you know why I read it every day? That's my hope. This is my hope. The word of God. People have died over this book. People are dying today over this book. If you go into China, you go into North Korea, you go into certain parts of Indonesia, you go into Pakistan, they will kill you if you enter the airport. It's illegal. And yet we just 
throw it on the bedside. And I'm, I'm gonna get, can, can I get real with you for just a minute? And when all hell breaks loose, we pick it up and we bury ourselves in it and look for answers. The answers are there now. And it's our hope. As the band makes their way back up, I, I, wanna, I don't want you to have any more distractions. So I want you to listen to me. Stand fast in the freedom or the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. And don't be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. Everybody say bondage. Bondage, to some degree, would be the antithesis of freedom. And, and it mentions a yoke, which is very interesting. Because a yoke is also mentioned in, in, in the context of the gospel. Jesus speaking of himself and lining up and yoking up with him. If you think of a yoke, it would have been a swayed piece of timber of which uh, an ox, a beast of burden, would have been tied to. A cow, if you will, a, 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 a horse or a mule. And you would have tied them to those. And, and, and it allows the driver to communicate with that animal. And if they're yoked together, how many of you know we're stronger together than we are by ourselves? Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, which is interesting. Because when he says, take my yoke upon you, he's saying, take upon me the absolute most grave, most, most, if you think of tyranny, if you think of servanthood, if you think of slavery, put it on your back. And, and when we think of that, if we stop right there, take my yoke upon me, it would almost imply that, that he wants us to serve him and to be pushed by him and driven by him as we would drive a beast of burden. But then he says, take my yoke upon you, for my burden is light and my yoke is easy. See, that's, that's an oxymoron. A yoke and a burden are never light and easy. Amen. Have you ever had a monkey on your back? you ever had that thing on your back and you're just toting it around? Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's a callous heart. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Yoking myself up with the person of Jesus Christ takes the word of God, places it in the forefront as if I have blinders on my eyes like a mule would so they can't see the peripheral. They can only see what's directly in front of them. The Bible says my word is a lamp unto your feet, a light unto your path. He's not wanting you to look at what she's saying and what he's doing. What's the church across town doing? How many people are talking about about the church? The church has become a punchline and a parody in Hollywood. He says, fix your eyes, gaze into heaven, see me, turn your affections off the world. Put Put your blinders on church and fix your eyes on the word of God and start marching on. You have your marching orders. You know what they are? Go ye into all the world. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach the gospel to every nation, every kindred, every tongue. No one's left out. Everybody deserves. Listen, we think about America and you think about the Statue of Liberty and you think about the people that came to the island and said, I, I, I escaped a place where I had no future, no hope, and I came to America because it's a land of the free. It's a land of the hope. What's the American dream? That I can pursue those unalienable rights, life, pursuit of happiness, that I have those rights no matter who I am, no matter my color, no matter my gender, no matter everything that I am, no matter my religious preference. Do you know that being an American and being a soldier who fights for the American freedoms even provides freedoms for those who hate Jesus? Did you know that? You know why? Because Jesus says, I have come not to save the righteous, but to draw the sinners into repentance. I've come that whosoever will. I praise God today that I'm a whosoever. Because at the close of Desert Storm, coming out of that time, Man, I was so proud. I had such an arrogance and, 
ego and the army kind of builds that in you and it's, it's a survivability thing if you will and, and I remember the night on October 29th 1992 coming out of all of that and going over and hearing the gospel presented over in Stockbridge Georgia at Metro Heights Baptist Church and I'll never forget as long as I live the fear that I had of seeing all the things that were going to unfold in an apocalyptic nature and then I remember that, that, that pastor standing up and he stood up and he says, he says, but do you know Jesus died for you? Do you know Jesus made a way for you where there was no way? Do you know that he loves you? Watch what he said. He loves you right where you are, not as you should be because you will never be as you should be. Do you want to know him today? And I said, oh my gosh, I do. And I invited Jesus into my heart and he saved me. And I fell madly in love with him. I wish I could tell you I corrected every avenue of my life, but I'm still working on it. Amen, church. We still are flawed. We still live in this flesh, and there's a struggle. Paul said, the things I don't want to do, those are the things I find myself doing. The things that I want to do, I don't do those things. He's speaking of spiritual warfare, and he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. 2 Corinthians, Paul, the writer of 2 Corinthians 10, chapter, chapter 10 and verse 4, he said, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty. Everybody say mighty. Come on, say it loud. Say mighty. Mighty through the pulling down of strongholds. The word of God is better than an M16. The word of God is better than an Abrams tank. It's better than an F16. It's better than a nuclear war. You know why? Because by all things it was framed by this word, by all things end all, we will be judged by every word that's written in that book. These 66 books written by 40 authors over a 1500 year period in three dialects on three continents. People who never met one another and yet it's fully congruent and Jesus himself, as I showed you last week, fulfilled over 300 to the T predictions or prophecies it is absolutely totally unequivocally impossible for that to happen yet Jesus did it it's real whether you and I want to accept it or not hell's real Satan's real the battle of good and evil is real but Jesus is real the finished work is real he's really saved us he's really set us free and all we got to do to as many as received him to them he gave the power to become a son of God what does that mean to me that means I step into freedom standing fast in the freedom where with Christ has set me free and I'm not going to be entangled again in the yoke of bondage this world is not my home but while I'm here I'm going to do everything in my breath I'm basing my life I base my finances I base my marriage I, I base me being a parent and a grandparent I base the church I base every single decision that I make on this one precept Jesus Christ crucified raised again sitting at the right hand of the Father having said one of the seven things it is finished it's been settled in heaven we are already victors how would you like to go into a war and know that the minute you walked on the battlefield all of the enemy soldiers just fell over dead and you didn't have to fire one shot that is your spiritual life. It's already been won. What do you do with that? Well, here's what we can do. We can come to church. We can celebrate. We can drop balloons. We can accentuate the drummers and the lighting. We can play some soft ambient music, make me feel real good and comfortable. We go down and eat some barbecue for Jesus. We can go down and fire fireworks tonight and celebrate our freedom. But hear me, church. Here's what God brought you here today to, to fully understand. If you die without Jesus, you will forever be separated for all of eternity in a second death. The words of the Word of God. But if you focus not on the things of this world and what man can and cannot do, and open your hand and your heart and your mind today and say, Jesus, I don't understand it all. I don't know it all. 
because I'm, I'm right there with you. I don't either. Every time I read that book, something else goes pow. And I'm like, wow, because it's alive. But in Revelation chapter 20, and I'm close, the Bible says that when he comes, he's going to bring a one-sided sword. It took me a while to understand what he meant by that. Earlier in Scripture, it talks about a two-edged sword. A two-edged sword shows the double-sided issues of the Word of God. One, it redeems. It sets free. It recreates. It breathes grace. It saves. But on the other side of that sword, they hear me, it condemns. It rebukes. It cuts asunder the sheep from the, the goat. But in Revelation 19 and 20, in all things ending, he only brings one side. Grace is gone at that point. He brings judgment. And you and I have the opportunity today to accept that one side of redemption. Holy Spirit just laid this in my heart, and I'm going to say it out loud. Quit stinking playing games with your life. Quit playing church. God is not impressed. Don't throw a five or 20 in the plate and think you tip God. God doesn't need your money. God wants your life. Quit playing games. Because as we've seen too many times in our own small little community, life is but a vapor. You don't know what the future holds, nor do I. But if you die today, today, before I finish talking, where would you spend eternity? What breaks my heart, David, is that some people, when I ask that question, some of you just swelled up inside of you and you said, oh, I hope I would go to heaven. I don't serve a hope so God that preaches a hope so gospel that has a hope so redemption and a hope so finished work. It is settled. These things have I written you that you may know that you have eternal life. That's what he said. Every head bowed and every eye closed. No one moving around. Do you know that you know that you know that if you die today, you have heaven for a home? Jesus is the Lord and Savior of your life. If you accept him right now, if you've not done that, if you're not sure and certain about where you're going to spend eternity, pray with me. Not to me. It's not a magical prayer. But it just so happens the way that I communicate with God and the way you communicate with God is through prayer. Pray with me right now in faith and by his grace, he will save you. Pray with me right now from your heart to God if you'd like to know. Father in heaven, I am a sinner. I have failed you. Today, Jesus, I repent of all my sin. I'm undone. Jesus, will you save me? Be the Lord of my life and help me to live for you until the day call me home maybe you didn't pray that but you wished you had a maybe just simply say this Jesus save me be the Lord of my life help me to live for you today I repent of all my sin thank you Jesus every head bowed every eye closed if you pray today don't be ashamed of it it's the greatest decision you ever make in your entire life I don't care if you're five years old or if you're 90 years old if you got saved today it's only because of the long suffering of Jesus Christ 
if you prayed right now. Lift your hand. Lift your hand if you prayed. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you, ma'am. Looking around. God bless you, little one. Anybody else? Hold it up high. Hold it up high. Wave it at him. Wave it at him. God bless you, sir. Here's what I want you to do. If you prayed and asked Jesus in your heart, you're not having to join anything. You're not having to say anything. But I got four or five men standing down front, pastors, deacons that want to pray with you. That's it. I promise you. That's all they're going to do. You don't have to say a word to them. They just want to pray over you because the enemy is a liar. He's an accuser. He will deceive you. He will let you leave out of here. If you don't take a step for him in here among the brethren, you'll walk out of this door and he will lie to you and say it didn't really happen. And you'll live under that fear. And every time you will try to get it right, you've got to take a step for him in here or you'll never live for him out there. On the count of three, no one looking, every head bowed and every eye closed. If you prayed and invited Jesus in your heart, just come get prayer right now. One, two, three, come right now. Just come. Just start walking. God bless you. I see you moving. Come. God bless you, sir. God bless you. If you did, come on. It's okay. Just come on. 